Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. And welcome to Minisode 124 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Hello, Mitch. How the devil are you? I'm alright, thank you very much, thank you. I, I have picked up a slight injury to my back. I uh, stood up aggressively yesterday while crouched down and uh, battered my back off my windowsill. So uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm finding it difficult to find a comfortable position to sit in, but hey... I'm here. And I'm alive. Well, that's a start. I'll say that. Also, um, I think that when you get to, like, your 30s, I think that back pain is such a weird thing that at least you can blame your back pain on an injury rather than it just happening because you got out of a chair the wrong way. Which has happened to me. Same. I was once off work for two days because I got out of an office chair the wrong way. (laughs) So, for date stamp purposes, we are coming in hot on a Sunday morning at 8.30. Yeah, yeah. Good morning. How's your week been? It's been okay. Yeah, it's been very busy, like, with my like my day job and stuff like that. I haven't had a massive amount of time, to be honest. Uh-huh. You squeezed anything in at all? Well, I've been doing my 31 films a Halloween thing, so I've been watching something every week, but I'm not going to touch on all of them. What I do want to talk about, though, is this. Uh, on Friday at 9pm, I hopped on to the BFI player to check out Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor as part of the London Film Festival. Uh, yeah, I had grand plans to do that as well, but it didn't occur to me that a digital screening could sell out because I am an idiot. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, when I was like at like 8 o'clock, I was like, oh, I should probably get a ticket for that, and obviously couldn't. So, uh, yeah, I am pretty gutted that I haven't seen Possessor yet, but you have. So, a new film from Brandon Cronenberg, best known for Antiviral, of course. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, what I want to say straight off off the bat is this is now my favourite film of the year and I think Ooh. for me it's going to be hard to topple. Okay very interesting. Tell us a little bit more about it then because I've seen the trailer for it and I think that it looks great. I really love Antiviral. I'm really excited about it. Mm-hmm. The trailer I think gives you a good indicator of the kind of tone of the film you're getting but not a great deal about the story. So you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah sure. Uh, so Andrea Riseborough who most people will know most recently from Mandy plays this kind of agent that works for this shady organisation that uses brain implant technology to hop into people's bodies to commit assassinations. Right, okay. Uh, and she hops into this guy's body, played by Christopher Abbott, and sets off on her mission. But uh, as she does so, she kind of starts to lose control a little bit of her uh, vessel, I suppose you would call it. Okay, okay, right, right, right. And it gets a bit trippy and weird and crazy towards the end. I mean, the whole film's crazy. I, I want to just say that now. But uh, it's also impeccably made. Dan Martin is a fucking madman. Because the effects in this are <laughs> unbelievable. There's some stuff in this that had me just like, oh, and it reinforces oh, really? my opinion that Dan Martin is the best stab guy working. Uh, yeah, one of the best effect guys working full stop. I can't disagree with that, to be honest, Mitch. Amazing performances, particularly from Andrea Riseborough and Christopher Abbott. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Sean Bean pops up in here. Okay, does he die? 
<laughs> you don't have to answer that. Uh, <laughs> it, it has a time of it, I would say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that is an absolutely glowing recommendation then for uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Then. Yeah, not everyone's going to like this. I'd seen I'd seen a couple of dissenting voices who weren't as blown away as I was, but. For my money, it's it's everything that I want from a film, and uh, I absolutely can't recommend it enough. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It's well crafted. It's beautiful. It's super cool. Gory as all hell. It's just excellent. So sounds like pretty striking and pretty exciting stuff. Do we know what the release chat is for this yet? Do you know? I don't. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I don't know what the situation is going to be with a cinema release if it will get one at all. I don't know how uh, well it will do against the BBFC at moments. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, so like that full on. Well, yeah. It was the the uncut version that played as part of London Film Festival. The un- unrated. I think there might be points in it that might struggle with the BBFC, but you never know. But what I would say is, I don't know what the situation is with cinemas anyway. It might not get any kind of cinema release, but when it comes out on home entertainment release, I want it to have the best, most amazing release it can get, because I'll buy it. Cool. Uh, anything else? I, I closed out watching the rest of the I Spit in Your Grave films. Oh, for God's sake. Okay, good. Yes, how was that? So it turns out I hadn't seen the second one, the, the sequel to the remake, and I had seen the third one. Is that Vengeance is Mine? Yes, yes it is. In my head I was equating that with being the sequel because Sarah Butler's back in it. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's the third one. wasn't such a fan. I quite liked the second one, it was alright. It's pretty rough stuff, as you would expect. I guess the newest one, I Spit in Your Grave, Deja Vu, is utter garbage. Is that the one that's really long? Two and a half hours long. Jesus Christ, honestly. Yeah, it's shite, so I don't really want to give it too much of your time. Fair enough. That's a hard pass for me, I must say. Um, <laughs> my original plan on Friday was uh, to do a wee triple feature, uh, which was going to end on Possessor. Sure. And when Possessor didn't pan out for me, I ended it on After Midnight instead. Everybody knows I love After Midnight. Don't need to talk about it again. However, the first and second in the trilogy of terror that I did on Friday night were <laughs> the next two releases in the Amazon Prime Welcome to the Blumhouse set. Right, okay. Now, um, you talked about the first two last week, which were Black Box and the lie that was a kind of mixed bag uh, i've got to be honest i've got no interest in really watching these at all but they're doing nothing for me on paper so how did you fare with the second two which i believe are evil eye and nocturne that's right yeah so um i want to say actually um i was just i was tweeting in general about welcome to the Bloomhouse over the weekend and uh lee that tweets in sometimes got in touch saying that the lie was screening at tiff and stuff like that as early as 2018 right. so I-, I think that it's got such a made for tv feel about it the lie and like it it's like incredibly non-compelling, and I just refuse to believe that there weren't better or more worthy titles for this. And I think that when you kind of understand that as the backstory, and you watch this incredibly plain, absolute like dishwater thriller that's two years old, it's hard to not start viewing Welcome to the Blumhouse as a bit of a dumping ground for titles they didn't know what else to do with. Okay. Now that's not like I say Black Box was good. If you're and I'm gonna actually double down on that and say if you're gonna watch any one of the four, you should watch Black Box. Okay. So Evil Eye first then. And uh, what you have here is uh, Sunita Mani uh, from Glow. Right, okay. Is the kind of lead in this. Uh, she plays uh, Palavi Karti, who is this woman who's badgered quite a lot by her mother, who's played by <laughs> Sarita Chowdhury, about when she's going to find a nice boy and settle down. The early running of this is incredibly frustrating viewing because it's just kind of very by-the-numbers, kind of stereotypical naggy mother chiding about things like that. And, sure. I mean... I understand that you have to kind of get that in there right out of the gate because it's fairly operative to the story, but it just feels so written. <laughs> it is actually really hard for the film to get out of first gear uh, after that. But basically what happens is Palavi meets this new man, uh, Sandeep, her like wealthy 
new man who moves her out of her house. She moves in with him. He's like, oh, you don't have to worry about anything anymore. All seems very idyllic from her point of view. But the mother, Usha, starts to worry that the boyfriend is the reincarnation of her own stalker ex. Right. Everybody in this is like watchable performance-wise. It's not really doing a great deal wrong it's not doing a massive amount right but it's fine the problem with this is that nothing else compelling is going on so as a result once you realize that the central question of the film is whether or not this guy is the reincarnation of the stalker x the film becomes a waiting game for that question to be answered okay and you're just kind of twiddling your thumbs until you find out whether or not that that is true and that's the problem with evil eye it would have functioned better as a short i think i think it presents you with one very simple question then takes an hour to answer it right okay and not a great deal else goes on in between for me. It's not it's like it's it's not the worst of these. The worst of these is still the lie, by the way. Right, sure. Um, uh, I did, I also wouldn't readily recommend it to people, and I still I'm just kind of like broadly not mad about this as a release model for Blumhouse. Okay. Or at least the model itself would probably be fine if the films were better. Which brings us on to Nocturne. Sure. Okay. So this one I would say was probably the one that piqued my curiosity the most on paper. Uh, the synopsis to this was with. Within the halls of a prestigious art school, an introverted musician starts to eclipse the achievements of her extroverted sister when she finds a notepad belonging to a recently deceased student. So it's classical pianists that are the kind of the focus of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, these these two sisters, Juliet and Vivian. So the thing about this is that the kind of prodigious musician rivalry thing, shot very austerely, has been done fairly effectively fairly recently on fairly high profile releases the perfection Um, the perfection is the thing that springs to mind and i think that my problem with nocturne is that again this is better than evil eye i would say but it's still not great it's still not something that i would say go and watch this and i think one of the reasons for that is that in a world that already contains black swan even down a dark hall which i'm not a huge fan of Mm -hmm. and the perfection and to an extent i guess the suspiria remake i think that there are so many things involving the arts and virtuosity and stuff like that with this these very similar kind of character arcs and very similar characters full stop that i think that nocturne feels redundant more than it feels shite (laughs) <laughs> like it's 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 a perfectly competently made film and i actually like the ending quite a bit but it just does nothing that the films that i've already mentioned don't do better or more interestingly okay so i would say if i was ranking these top to bottom i would say black box is the best by a comfortable margin then i would say you've got nocturne then evil eye and i would say that the lie is bottom of the pile however i think that the only one of those that I would really recommend to people would be Black Box. Right. Wow. Okay. So is this? Do we know if this is like a one-off experiment that that Blumhouse are doing here, or is there plans to do more of these? I haven't seen any indicator that they're going to do it again. It looks like this is something that was kind of uh, just dropped in October as a kind of Halloween thing. But I also feel like if it was going to be that, then it would have made more sense to do one a week in the run-up to Halloween. Sure. But I am not going to tell Jason Blum how to run his business. <laughs> That is indeed up to him. But yeah, I would say a largely unsuccessful experiment in Welcome to the Blumhouse. I don't mind it as an idea, but it seems like there was such a discernible lack of follow-through in terms of uh, putting titles on there that were particularly engaging. Wow. Okay. Cool. Interesting. 
Right. So. Mitch was this into the 90s. Mitch watched the most 90s thing ever this week. Oh. Um, so I just watched this because it got added to Netflix. I'd never heard of it. And I was like, ah, fuck it. Let's see how this goes. I watched Fear this week from James Foley. Have you heard of this? I haven't. No, no. What, what do we have here? Uh, a hell of a cast in our hands with this one, actually. Reese Witherspoon, Mark Wahlberg, William Peterson, and Alyssa Milano. Okay. But what we have here is Reese Witherspoon playing Nicole, who is a high schooler who has this fractious relationship with her parents who meets uh, Mark Wahlberg, playing here the uh, character of David, who is this kind of like wrong side of the tracks guy. And to begin with, it's just like the parents being suspicious of him, being like, I'm not sure about this guy. And it widening out into them obviously being very, very right, because he's a total sociopath. <laughs> you know what? This, this wasn't not fun. Okay. As I watched this between the hours of 7am and 8.30 this morning, and I didn't feel like my time was being wasted. So put it that way. It's not a glowing recommendation, but it's certainly like of the kind of like trashy 90s thrillers of which there were legion that I've watched a reasonable chunk of for this. But it's probably one of the better ones, actually. Man, your choices have been so fucking weird for this. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite pleased by the fact that I've gone all over the map in the way that I have. It's not, um, it's not even been close to any kind of deep dive or anything. It's just been pure scattershot. It has been, yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe I was painting with two broad strokes when I just said 90s. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel like I've seen an interesting range of stuff. But you're right, I haven't really zeroed in on anything. Uh, so next week is the concluding chapter of the 90s side quest. So I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to mark the occasion, to be honest. I think uh, the first thing to do is you take listener suggestions for what you should watch for your final big 90s blowout okay i've actually got a couple of days off this week i might have time to watch more than one mm, i finish uh, for a fortnight this week i'm off for two weeks oh, oh lovely i am only off for a few days but i am still looking forward to it though oh wow we're both going to be a uh, super bright-eyed and bushy-tailed next monday then <laughs> however that does it for this week on the 90s side quest so moving on yeah what have they been saying feedback time loads of stuff this week unsurprisingly a lot of talk about the exorcist 2 and mm. friday's episode with the swerve director dean capsalis so big thank you to dean for joining us on the show and uh diving so deep into the exorcist 2 with us this was a really fun one i really enjoyed it i i really loved it yeah it was uh, it was good to revisit uh we've had some pretty damning opinions on it if i'm perfectly honest uh, not the episode but the film uh yeah you want to touch on some of that so i'm going to start with about as bad a review as it's possible to get <laughs> coming in from Okay. Film, film fan Stevie, who has who, even last week when we announced this was quite vocal in his disdain for the film, but he reached out with some extended thoughts on Twitter. Um, this was a DM as well, presumably it wasn't necessarily fitting with a character limit. So, The Exorcist 2, no comment. But then he does go on to comment at length. Okay. Uh, there are some films I won't revisit again. This being one of them. I would rather watch films like Manos and Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny on loop for 24 hours. Many years ago, the film Nosferatu almost disappeared due to rights. Thankfully, some prints survived. The Exorcist 2 should be wiped from history. It's a crime against humanity. <laughs> I didn't see that coming in. That's amazing. Um, hello, Kian. Not so Kian on Twitter saying, I'm intrigued to hear the argument for it, but definitely not intrigued enough to rewatch it. I'm kind of hoping that uh, after people heard it, I heard Dean talking about it, they might be tempted to go back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, just while you're talking about Kian. Big thanks to Kean who uh, sent us a photo this week of himself and Shan both wearing the hot pink Mitch's Bitches t-shirts. Yeah, uh-huh. His and hers. Love it. That's quite sweet. Um, 
<laughs> wasn't the word that came to my mind, but okay. Um, on the subject, though, of uh, Dean talking people around and uh, getting people to, if not reevaluate the film, at least revisit it. I want to say hello to Andrew Barron, who uh, sent a really nice thing on the Locker this week. Said, uh, episodes in which my initial reaction to the guest's chosen film is, what? Why would someone choose that? Often end up being the ones I enjoy the most. Poltergeist 3 and Jaws the Revenge being past examples of this. Listening to someone talk so passionately and eruditely about a film I may have previously dismissed often makes me see it in a new light, gain a newfound appreciation for it, and leads to my experience of rewatching it being that much more enjoyable. And that's what it's all about. So, uh, Andrew, I hope that that's what happened. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. That's really nice. Yeah, that is really cool. I think, like, um, as a general comment, that's really lovely to hear. So, thanks for that, Andrew. Yeah, um, another Andrew. Which I've got to be honest, I'm I'm quite loving all these all these Andes that we're getting today. How do you feel like you belong to a community? <laughs> a group of like-named individuals. A colony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this time it's Andrew Marshall, by the way, and he's saying it was a mistake to take painkillers before a first-time watch of The Exorcist Two ahead of the latest Strong Violent PC. Nonsensical allegory, mind links, nightmare locusts, and red-tinted tap dancing like something out of Cats. I genuinely can't tell if I'm hallucinating this shit. Andrew, you're not. You're not. All that it's all real. Yeah, yeah. It's all real. There may be unreliable narrators in those films, but there's not in your eyes. Mm, there's a fair amount of dream logic involved in The Exorcist 2. That is certainly true, yeah. Alexis Donnelly, I watched it last night. I was super excited by the cast. However, overall, the film was a little poor. It doesn't hold up as a good sequel. I don't think that there's any argument with that. But I think that um, emerging, I think, as the kind of key way to enjoy The Exorcist 2 is to distance the original Exorcist as far as possible from your mind. I don't know. I also think Andrew Marshall had the right idea. Take drugs. <laughs> yeah, that too, I guess. You got anything else on The Exorcist 2? I do. <laughs> By the way, don't take drugs. <laughs> Good on you, Andy, for making sure that you don't use your platform for evil. Jesus. Uh, Harry underscore Ray got touched to say, uh, Pazuzu is a historical demon name. The king of storm demons. Although... I reckon the name was picked at random by Blatty, to be honest. Possibly because it's so fun to say. It's quite fun to say. It's, it's silly. Pazuzu. 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 <laughs> Pazuzu. <laughs> Uh, Stephen Wales getting in touch on Facebook I thought The Irredeemables was a Patreon only series Oh! Seriously though, looking forward to this It's <laughs> Sick burn <laughs> Seriously though, looking forward to this It's a movie I've long avoided but also felt like I need to check out As always, curious to know how this went Yeah, yeah, let us know uh, You got anything else on Exorcist 2 before we move on? I don't know I'm done with Exorcist 2 Possibly for life I <laughs> uh, want to say a quick hello to Chris Skelp and a few other people actually off the back of the Zoom watch along last Saturday uh, oh, for sure. Patreon yeah. in which uh, Zombie Slew made a mention of the Sword and the Sorcerer mm-hmm. yes that's right this is grown arms and legs at least three people have ordered that now I believe oh really yeah Chris Scalp and James Duffy certainly have <laughs> um, one way or another I get the impression that the Sword and the Sorcerer may figure in our future oh great lovely stuff uh, sticking with the Zoom watch along though and sticking with Gorehound Louis, uh-huh. Lewis has said that uh, the Zoom watch along has got a lot to answer for <laughs> So he might have fed other people to go and get the sword and the sorcerer, but he has been fed to go and pick up something for himself. Um, I'll apologise for not remembering who mentioned this on Saturday, but I felt compelled to purchase a German VHS of Runaway. That's the runaway where the acting moustache attached to a man that is Tom Selleck fights robots by the <laughs> 
<laughs> Sounds amazing. It's pretty good. One on one films have yeah. got an amazing Blu-ray out, Lewis. If you ever want to also have a digital version of that. Pulling away from the Zoom watch along and in the direction of Teen Witch. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Chris Skelp got in touch, having caught up with that. Watched this last night as a warm up to Possessor. A highly recommended double bill. <laughs> Nothing better than watching extreme splatter on screen while your brain is still singing the most popular girl to itself. That's an absolutely incredible double bill. I would venture that Chris is the only person in the world that has double billed those films. Perhaps. I would have maybe even done it the other way and saved Teen Witch as a palate cleanser. Yeah, maybe actually. Yeah, yeah, that might not have been a bad shout. Um, see, I just want to touch on something really quickly about Exorcist 2 that I missed first time round. Uh, Chris Salt. Oh, yeah. I tweeted in just saying, I've read Boorman's biography, so I get what he's aiming for with it. Aiming and hitting the mark are different things, though. <laughs> oh, the buttons are coming thick and fast for The Exorcist 2 today. Yeah, I know. Uh, I am out on feedback. Do you have any more? A couple of little things. Uh, James Rodriguez at RoddersJ04 getting in touch to say, mm-hmm. so listening to Strong Violent PC while driving may be dangerous. I had their People Under the Stairs episode playing and was laughing so much at Sloth potentially being Chunk's lover that I nearly had a <laughs> car while parking. That's a kind of convoluted road to that, but it was basically me talking about the fact that Chunk should have told his parents that he was going to bring this seven-foot monster home rather than just landing it on them awkwardly in the moment and then feeling compelled to say yes out of nicety. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I distinctly remember that conversation. I completely agree. <laughs> And lastly, uh, I've got Fee Bunny at Carpenter is God. She's saying here that it's all strong, violent PC's fault that she's watching Anaconda, right? Mm -hmm. But you should be watching Anaconda anyway, just as a matter of course. She also reached back out to say that she was watching Lord of Illusions for the first time. Yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, uh, digging into a couple of kind of deep cut episodes for us then. Yeah, I'd be interested to know how your viewing of Lord of Illusions went, and certainly how it went kind of stacked up against Anaconda. I am very curious about how everyone's viewing of Lord of Illusions goes. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a a relative love for Lord of Illusions out there. I would say that's probably true. Hmm. So you done? I was about to say yes, but we've had a late submission that I don't want to let slip without mention. Okay. Now, okay. this just came in from Film Fan Stevie there, and it's a screen grab of Alan Jones from Fright Fest's Top Films of 1977. Okay. Uh, and it's quite, it makes for interesting reading, I have to say. Um, so I'm just going to count down from 10 on this, right? And I want, I, I want your opinion on this because it gets quite interesting. Probably would have seen any of them, but okay. <laughs> you, 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 you've definitely seen a couple. At 10, Communion. Okay. At 9, Seizure. At 8, House of Exorcism. Nope. At 7, Rabid. Oh, I, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, like Rabid. At 6, Suspiria. Like, like, uh, like Suspiria, mm-hmm. yeah. At 5, Would You Kill a Child? Mm, don't know. At 4, Demon Seed. Don't know that either. At 3, The Exorcist 2. Ha ha ha! No way! Yeah, yeah. Exorcist 2 above Suspiria. And Rabid. <laughs> Only trumped by Romero's Martin and Star Wars okay right fair twos um, I've seen Martin of course because it was in the Shockwaves 100 and obviously I've seen Star Wars interesting okay so that's some uh, some high level endorsements for Exorcist 2 coming in there yeah I'm, I'm actually surprised that certainly knowing that that's coming from Alan that Suspiria was trumped so so roundly by the Exorcist 2 yeah, yeah. interesting and obviously Dean said uh, on the episode that um, that film is not without its high profile fans Scorsese yeah Alan Jones. <laughs> Another one in the list. So, yeah. It's Mitch's Pitches! It is once again time for Mitch's Pitches. Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a 
poster from a horror film from years gone by. I photoshopped out the title and the tagline and left only the image. It'll fall to me to describe the image to the best of my ability and where possible give it both a title and a synopsis. We'll also share it to our social media channels so you guys can join in at home and a fair amount of you did that this week. So we had the Redeemer, Son of Satan. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, this past week, reappropriated by me as Boarding Ghoul 2, cutting class. <laughs> It's better this week than um, it was at the time. Well, that's good to know. We have a lot of them uh, this week, so uh, let's get into this. Yeah, let's. let's. Uh, C.P. Buckley first, then. When little Timmy Thickface goes to visit his aunt and <laughs> uncle in Mirror Manor for the summer, he starts to experience strange feelings of anger and hatred. Soon little Timmy begins a murder spree coaxed on by a voice in his head. Ooh. Soon he finds out that his aunt and uncle used him in a ritual and he's now possessed by a murderous demon. Timmy goes to visit the local town's new... Oh, God... Timmy goes to visit the local town's new occult expert, Dick Hardman, to try and help him overcome his new urges. Can Dick save little Timmy and stop his mean aunt and uncle, or will the demon get the better of him? It's the 1990 unexplainable sequel, The Hardman Factor 5, Possession is Nine-Tenths of a Child. <laughs> you know what? I was I was kind of on board until the title, and that was the clincher. Um, Damon Rickard getting in touch, playing it a little bit more serious uh, with this one. A young boy who's bullied at school finds he has the power to astral project himself into the body of death. He then goes on a revenge rampage against all his tormentors. That's death becomes him. <laughs> Uh, James Rodriguez, escaping a lifetime of eternal torment from hell, the spirit of Adolf Hitler returns to Earth and possesses the body of Baron Trump. <laughs> Realising the boy's father is the US president, Adolf thinks he's lucked out, but realises he'd have some catching up to do with the boy's father. To make matters worse, death is stalking him, intent on bringing the failed painter back however possible. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Even if it means kicking global warming up a gear. Get ready for a film so relevant, Saturday Night Live is about to parody it in painfully unfunny ways. It's Hail to the Chief. <laughs> I love the description of Hitler as a failed painter. Painter, yeah, I love that. Uh, Laura Bain in Evil Speak 2, Skeletor Boogaloo. <laughs> Kevin Matthews, when funeral home manager Paul Bearer moves into his new work premises alongside his wife and kids, he doesn't realise that one of the many little collectible sets in his new abode is a set of Russian dolls that actually house the lone child due to take over from death himself. More people will be killed when Paul digs deeper and frees the new Reaper in the 1985 supernatural chiller Nasty Nestled Dolls of Death. <laughs> Ian McMillan on the Chudlocker. Right. Strap in. An elderly explorer and collector of the esoteric, played by Ross Abbott, is seen writing a rough copy of his will that his PA will take to a lawyer in the morning. On his desk is an antique butt plug, which he lifts and looks at inquisitively, while lifting his right buttocks lightly and letting one go. A shadowy figure passes behind him and he turns around. Nothing there. The butt plug starts shaking and moving around the desk. He slowly looks back towards it and his face goes white. As he's about to scream, cut to black. Flash forward ten years, the man's body has now been found, enabling his will to now be executed. His 13-year-old grandson inherits the butt plug and slowly strange <laughs> things start happening. Don't give it to a 13-year-old. Mitch, it was bequeathed to him. It's not up to the child. Like, that's his granddad's dying wish. Yes, I know, it's a terrible one. <laughs> it turns out the butt plug belongs to a kinky occultist who managed to summon a demon and trap it in the anal aid. The demon, however, is able to manifest itself in people's farts as it slowly gains power. With the help of his brother, a priest and theology scholar, played by someone that used to be in EastEnders, and his mother, an arse doctor, played by me, he must trace the last known ascendant of Jesus and put the remaining... <laughs> and put the remake relic of their chalk box. However, they turn out to be a racist, sexist homophobe played by Lawrence Fox, who isn't likely to give up his bum virginity without a fight. It's relic in the rectum. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So there you go. Lauren McIntyre, after numerous humiliating defeats at the hands of He-Man, Skeletor makes a bid for Eternian leadership, the only way he knows how. 
politics. <laughs> By infiltrating the rich Eternian middle class disguised as a young boy, Skeletor gradually wins over enough of the bourgeoisie to depose King Randor and force an election for the new Eternian leadership. Enjoy an extra four hours of complex Eternian bureaucracy. Skeletor wages a political campaign like no other. And the director's cut of Dolph Lundgren's 1989 straight-to-video sequel, Masters of the Universe, Election Year. <laughs> Mal Jutley on Facebook, an evil advertising inflatable takes over the body of a young boy and goes on a murderous rampage. That's how a wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man takes Manhattan. <laughs> uh, Hanny underscore Ray, a newly divorced couple, split their large home into two, but the fight over their only child summons a presence that might have their son's worst interest at heart. It's divorce of nature, little Timmy's revenge. <laughs> right, okay, cool. And finally, Chris Salt. Wow. A group of students narrowly avoid death when one of their number, Noah Stradamus, has a premonition <laughs> that their school bus is going to crash. But what seems like a miraculous escape soon turns into a terrible nightmare as the destiny-dodging teens begin dying in a series of preposterously contrived accidents. This sounds familiar. Uh, yeah. Because death doesn't take kindly to people messing with his schedule and he's come down to earth <laughs> in disguise to make sure they pay the piper. Can the karma-confounding kids escape their grisly fate or will they be picked off one by one in increasingly silly ways? And what's the connection between these mysterious mishaps and the creepy new kid, Graham Reaper. <laughs> Find out in 1975's little-known inspiration for the popular Final Destination franchise, Murder Boy Death. <laughs> That's your lot for this week. A hell of a crop. Oh, unbelievable work, guys. In fact, I'm going to give you a clap. There you go. That, Powerful stuff. That was excellent. Uh, okay, uh, best character name, without a doubt, to Graham Reaper. You could have given that either to Graham Reaper or Noah Stradamus, and I wouldn't have fought you on either point. <laughs> and uh, I think I'm going to give the best pitch to Lauren, because I like the idea of uh, Skeletor being a politician. But I do want to make special mention for Ian McMillan's pitch, because it was unbelievably filthy. Long. <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievably long. Uh, <laughs> big thank you to everybody who got in touch this week. It is, however, my turn now. Yep. Uh, are you ready? Because I am primed to send this. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Here it comes. It says a lot that you can send me an image like this, and I'll look at it and be like, ah, oh, playing it relatively safe this week. <laughs> um, right, border to this image is white. The background is black. We have got a woman in a state of some distress. She is wearing a sleeveless t-shirt and um, a pair of white underwear. She is bound by her wrists. Um, she is suspended over a hole in the ground, which has many monstrous hands le- reaching from it. And uh, we have got a kind of pinhead-looking guy. Mm. It looks like uh, on Zoom that um, there's a decent amount of pins in his head, but uh, his head's covered in blood and he's looking menacingly at the camera. That's pretty much all, actually. Relatively simple one uh, this week. So many monstrous hands and one demonic head emerge from a pit over which is suspended a brown-haired woman in a state of some distress. That character really looks like Pinhead. Let's see if I go down that road. (laughs) Let's indeed. these do you suppose we've done where it's been a scantily clad woman with barely hidden nipples in a state too many Andy too fucking many (laughs) I've said it before though such is the genre that we find ourselves drawn to that uh, most of the films that we watch have women in a state of some distress barely concealing their nipples so uh, it's not true anymore. I'm like, we've moved on now we live in more enlightened times now but the films I watch is very much still that Right, okay, there's the answer. <laughs> well, how are you getting on with this? Okay, I'm getting there. Right. Okay, here we go. Okay. Promising young actress Anne Janu arrives oh. in Hollywood to pursue her dreams and make it in the talking pictures. 
After six months of bussing tables and performing one-woman shows of old episodes of ER to support herself, she finally lands the role of a lifetime. The lead in a gender-swapped reboot of classic horror franchise Jack Slasherman. Uh, Slasherman? Is this the uh, the universe-building crossover where Jay Baruchel's run the max of violence? Well, this came first, so <laughs> take it up with him. You'll be hearing from our lawyers. Exactly. However, the controversial reimagining inevitably invokes the ire of entitled fandoms the world over, and in a horrific real-world manifestation of a thousand whiny comment sections, Anne is taken captive by Jack Slasherman superfan Hugh Manboy, who imprisons her above a pit of slavering, feral, basement-dwelling incels until production on Jill Slasherman is halted. With time running out, what starts as a deadly fight for survival soon becomes a deadly fight for survival, as Manboy's Machiavellian master plan intensifies. Ah. It's down to Anne's faithful best friend, Monica Pixie Dreamberg, to save the day in 1999 <laughs> searing takedown of fan entitlement the show must go on the incredible dismemberment of man boys fanboys <laughs> i like that a lot thanks very much i was quite pleased with that i must say the reality is far less interesting oh that's a shame i am aware that the year is going to be very wrong because i had to uh make it the early days of the internet so that was why it's 1999 i'm assuming i'm out by a considerable distance there just 10 years okay that's not so bad it was 2009 no it's not <laughs> Very good. Uh, it's 1989's The Dead Pit. The Dead Pit. Okay, um, who is synopsizing this week and what do they have to say? Well, I've got an interesting fact about uh, the synopsizer this week. This is, this, is, okay. this is purely coincidental, but almost exactly a year to the day ago, the Mitch's pitch image was for the baby. Uh huh, okay, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember. Uh, rock him, sock him, chop him. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Uh, and at that time, the synopsizer was Brian J. Wright. Okay. I can tell you that almost a year later, and I think for the first time in the intervening 52 weeks, Brian J. Wright returns. Oh, that's quite cool. Yeah. Okay, um, and what does he have to say about the dead pit? Well, let me tell you. A renegade doctor is shot dead and entombed with his fiendish experiments in the basement of an abandoned wing of a mental hospital. Twenty years later, a mysterious woman is admitted with amnesia and her arrival is marked by an earthquake, which cracks the seal to the dead pit, freeing the evil doctor to continue his work. Oh, okay. You seen this? I have not. I, I feel like there's been quite a few in a row now that you haven't seen. It's interesting. It's like it's like I can tell that you're digging deeper because of that. Yeah, I think they're probably all on Amazon Prime because I, I know that Redeemer is also on Amazon Prime. Yes, yeah, it definitely is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That concludes Mitch's Pitches for this week. That image is everywhere now. You know what to do. Get on there, get pitching. If you can talk this week, you'll be doing well. Yeah, that was superb. The past few weeks have been absolutely incredible. Yeah, people have really been stepping up. Very impressive. So, turning our attentions to the streaming platform then, and things picking up, certainly in terms of quantity, as we get nearer to Halloween. <laughs> Fire away. Nah, interesting mixed bag of stuff this week. Amazon Prime then. Wednesday the 21st, we've got Brahms The Boy 2. Ooh. When a young family moves to the Heelsters residence, terror strikes when a boy from the family discovers a doll called Brahms that appears to be eerily human. This is poop. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I mean, I was actually, like, I'm weirdly curious about it, and I don't know why, because I didn't particularly like the boy. Sure. Um, but I'll, I might get around to it. Uh, like I say, free time this week. I, I'm not saying that I'm going to spend all of my days off watching loads of crap, but I'm definitely going to watch some. Uh, now TV, Saturday 24th, we've got The Grudge 2020 from Nicholas Pesky. <laughs> this is also poop, and that's extremely disappointing, because up till this point, I've liked everything that Nicholas Pesky's done. Eyes of My Mother and Piercing both great, but uh, The Grudge, I haven't seen this, actually. Detective Muldoon is handed a murder investigation and realises 
that the murder site is a cursed house. As a result, she decides to break the curse, sensible, fearing for her and her son's safety. However, Sunday the 25th, Now TV stepping up the lighthouse. Ah, superb. That's an interesting week-on-week double bill. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. This is from the witch director Robert Eggers. It's really fucking weird and I liked it quite a bit. Same here, absolutely love it. Uh, pulling in towards Netflix then, Tuesday the 20th, Disappearance at Clifton Hill. Tormented by a disturbing childhood memory, a young woman returns to her hometown of Niagara Falls and uncovers the grim details of a boy's abduction. Ooh. Thursday 22nd I have been looking forward to this one for quite a while Cadaver right okay yeah I'm really looking forward to this when a peculiar hotel dinner show draws crowds during a post-apocalyptic famine one family discovers they'll pay much more than the price of admission and Sunday the 25th we've got the possession of Hannah Grace when a former cop lands a job at a morgue her graveyard shift takes a terrifying turn with the delivery of a young girl's haunted corpse I think this got quite a big cinema release did it? If I'm not mistaken. I think this got a reasonable sized release um, here and in America. Shutter then, Monday the 19th, we've got Jerusalem with a Z. Two American tourists are trapped in Tel Aviv after an army of demons start attacking civilians and turning them into zombies. Also on Monday, we've got Anthony de Blasi's Last Shift. Right, okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ, here he goes. Right. I really like this. I scared the shit out of me. After rookie cop Jessica is assigned the last shift at a transitioning police station, she must wait for a hazardous materials crew to pick up biomedical evidence. However, the shift soon becomes a living nightmare. And on Thursday the 22nd, we've got 32 Malasana Street. The Olmedo family leaves village life behind to move to an apartment in Madrid where something horrifying awaits them. So that's your lot for this week. I would say the pick of the week is probably an open and shut case in terms of it being the lighthouse, but I want to shout out to the last shift because I always do. And also I am quite buzzing for Cadaver. Like the one that I will watch first of these is Cadaver, but I would say if we're going for something that's a dead cert that's really good, I would say the lighthouse. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the most fun experience ever, but it's an excellent film. Yeah, I would agree on both counts there. Turning our attentions then to this week's show, we do have another guest killing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you were talking about Shudder. Yes, because our guest this week is the head of programming for Shudder. It's Mr. Sam Zimmerman. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about this episode, to be honest, because this is a film that most people will not have seen. Yeah, not the most readily accessible on the normal platforms in the UK, but there are a few versions of it doing their ends on YouTube. Yep, and the fact that no one's seen it is not necessarily a reflection on the quality of the film, but it's Richard Longcrane's 1977 again, Mitch. Oh, so it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's The Haunting of Julia. So this week... Shudder's head of programming, Sam Zimmerman, stops by to talk to us about The Haunting of Julia. Really looking forward to this. Really looking forward to hearing what you guys think of both the film and the episode. Uh, We had a lot of fun. If you want to get in touch and talk to us about that, there's loads of ways that you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email longer considerations to stronglanguagevioluntscenes at gmail.com. And you can interact with other listeners on our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. Yep, and check out our Patreon page. We've got some stuff coming this week. That's patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes. Yeah, keep an eye on the feed, patrons. We have gotten a look at episode coming your way uh, very soon indeed. That'll be Wednesday. Yep, absolutely. If you're not on there yet, go check it out. We'll be doing more watch along soon, all that kind of stuff. Loads of tears. So if you feel like throwing a little bit of cash away, then that's how you do that. Yeah, and we'll be saying thank you to a new patron at the end of this episode. Thanks to everyone who's already a patron. We absolutely love you. Uh, it, It just makes what we do so much easier to do. Thank you very much. You are indeed the real heroes. We are back this Friday talking The Haunting of Julia with Sam Zimmerman. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye, guys.
Hey guys, just stopping by to say a quick thank you to a new patron this week. Big thank you to Mr. Rob Thorpe joining in. Rob, thank you so much. That's your money. You could do whatever you wanted with it. The fact that you've chosen to give it to us is absolutely wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Rob also joining us on the Chud Locker this week, so looking forward to hearing from you on there as well. Thanks a lot. Yep, thanks Rob and thanks everyone. See you soon. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. <laughs>